lecture two part three of the endowments of man by william bernard ullathorne this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture two why man is made to the image of god part three what is life without love apathy is deadness enmity is a killing bitterness love is the wealth of the soul making her rich with life and glowing with good in proportion to the goodness of that life to which she devotes her own what we see instructs us but what we love works a change in us our love is both an active and attractive force it draws to us the qualities of the object that we love those qualities change our qualities and make us like the object that we love the life we love enters into our life and changes our spirit and character into something of the goodness greatness and dignity of the object to which we give our love with love our soul expands and is enlarged with the greater life that attracts our affections and is purified with its purity and the soul goes forth out of herself to live in the object of her love god is love and to love god is life pride is not love it is pure selfishness and selfishness is destructive of love pride is the very reverse of love it is the most spurious and ungenerous of all affections pride is not only the most selfish but it is the most unreasonable and most odious of affections the effect of which is to contract and blind and harden the soul which makes her equally unreceptive both of truth and of good but love is both generous and ingenuous opening the soul to bring forth whatever is most dear or secret within her and bringing it into the sunshine of the divine life of god which makes that soul dear to him concupiscence is not love it is but a vile and degrading passion that gives sway to the body over the soul concupiscence defiles and debases the soul disorders her powers and weakens them but that true love for which man was created and which is alone worthy of him is charity which begins in god and tends to god and embraces purifies and perfects every love of the creature it gives a divine motive and power and a certain sweetness of its own even to the natural affections and has its final end in god god is charity charity is his nature his life and the unceasing action of his goodness his charity moving through his holy spirit moves in all the charity that circulates in the soul from her first movement towards divine things it is a most sacred and unspeakable operation whereby a divine state is established in us 
hence saint paul calls charity the more excellent way and the bond of perfection and the fulfilment of the commandments man is perfected therefore by the love of god this love puts his relations with god in their just due and happy order and regulates his love and duty towards every person and thing that is less than god we are now in a position to take the measure of manhood by the one true standard with which man is measured by his creator the man of nature is the man begun he is still in the rudiments of manhood the man of grace is the man brought into living relations with the supreme object of his existence his soul is in communion with the good that perfects his nature he is regenerated to that life for which he was created and having in him the rudiments of spiritual life as a living subject he begins to advance towards god as his living object the man of faith and charity continues to perfect his manhood with greater light and charity raising his life to higher life and approaching nearer to the greater good and when the hour comes in which god calls him he leaves his mortal frame behind him and purified from the dross of his mortal life he enters into the vision of god where the flame of his charity is attracted by the divine flame of god's eternal charity and the man is completed and consummated in perfection according to god's eternal plan yet he is not absolutely perfected to the full measure until his body is raised from the dust and regenerated spiritualized and immortalized and made the responsive instrument of his glorified soul this is the true progress of man and god is the object of his progress the men of this world who are truly so called when they rarely look beyond it never tired to speak of human progress yet strange to say they invariably omit the object aim or end of that progress progress with them is the accumulation of natural knowledge human inventions the fruits of industry and the resources of earthly pleasure all that in a word which the man leaves when he quits the body even the pagan philosophers were wiser in principle when conscious of their immortality they sought the supreme good of the soul the path marked out by god for man's advancement is from his first rudimental and natural existence to the final filling up and perfecting of his nature in the highest life and divinest good this is not merely a personal but a social advancement begun in the great society of god's church here below where the son of god reigns and the holy spirit operates and the whole society mutually help each other onwards and from the church on earth the advancement is to the society of god in heaven and the company of the angels 
and of the spirits of the just made perfect progress in any other direction than the way of the just whatever shows it may give to the imagination with whatever flatteries it may soothe the pride of life whatever concupiscences it may excite in the inferior man with whatever diversions it may amuse his vanity is progress downwards it is a descent and a shameful descent from the appointed order of human progress and a failure from the divine standard of manhood this divine philosophy pervades the scriptures and finds its confirmation in the constitution of the soul in the light of the mind and in the deepest aspirations of our inward nature but nowhere has this divine philosophy of human progress been more strongly inculcated than by st paul who exhorts us to advance from image to image and from likeness to likeness as from the spirit of the lord that we may reach to the stature of the perfect man the scriptures draw a perpetual distinction between two kinds of men between the just and spiritual man and the carnal or animal man the one is raised to that height of manhood which god designed for him the other has descended to greater or less proximity of life with the animals beneath him to the grievous deforming of his nature for whilst the animals are in the due order of their nature the man has left the due order of his nature whether he subjects his soul against his reason to his animal propensities or whether by the abuse of his light he corrupts his imagination to his ignominy let us sum up the attributes proper to man which when the will keeps them in their due order and exercise give him the becoming elevation of manhood the first is the unspeakable superiority of his soul over his body a superiority founded in the very nature of things so that the subjection of the body to the soul is the first principle of human order the second is man's attribute of reason which requires him to be in all things reasonable to obey the truth and to observe the law of reason the third is his conscience and sense of god which commands him to be obedient to the internal voice of god but the fourth is his noblest distinction and that is the constitution of his soul in the image of god which reflects the holy trinity in his spiritual nature and gives him the capacity for god and for the reception of divine and eternal things this living image of god requires him to seek first the things that are above and not the things beneath him that he may do justice to his nature and justice to god and that by seeking and obtaining the gifts of god he may be transformed from a less perfect to a more perfect image of god by obtaining the divine likeness he thus ascends from animal to reasonable life and from reasonable to spiritual life 
by working with god to perfect his nature it is upon this standard of humanity as held out by god that the fathers take the measure of man saint augustine says when a man adheres to god he is something but when he departs from god he is nothing that is to say man without god is a subject without its object his chief capacity that for eternal good is empty and void without the end of his existence he is a failure saint hilary writes in these searching terms what is so difficult to find or so great when found as a man who keeps in mind that he is made to the image and likeness of god the man who attends to the divine word who knows the reason of his soul and body and contemplates their origin and motive understands for what end they exist and were created but the man who neglects this knowledge loses his right to the name of man and is unworthy the name of man for this reason when the prophets and apostles have to speak vehement reproach they drop the name of man who loses his chief properties with his innocence and change it to some other as a horse mule fox serpent or viper st john chrysostom applies the divine standard of manhood to man in a number of places commenting for example on the character of job he says the profane who do not belong to us are wont to define man what is man consult the definitions of philosophers and they will say that man is a rational and mortal animal but the scriptures agree not with their definitions what is man he is just irreproachable truthful departing from evil works so that what is not approved by the witness of good works is not man such a one bears the stamp and form of man's nature but he is deformed by malicious intentions hear it from the prophet man when he was in honour did not understand he is compared to foolish beasts and is made like to them in another homily the golden-mouthed doctor says to have a man's body and voice is not to be a man to be a man is to have the soul of a man and the affections proper to a soul there is no sign more sure of a man having a soul than when he loves to hear god's truth as there is no greater proof of an irrational animal soul than to despise god's truth the prophet isaiah says of a populous city there is not in it a man losing the courage of obedience at a trying moment they lost their reasonableness and their manhood could not be reckoned upon the tendency of inspired truth is to contemplate the carnal man as actually sharing the blind passions and degrading habits of the beasts to which they are likened for as saint gregory of nyssa remarks the man who comes down from his manhood 
into an irrational and animal life partakes of the habits of some animal or other in whatever passion or vice he may suffer to torment his soul be it the deaf adder the crafty serpent the proud peacock or the dog returning to his vomit the scriptures call destructive men wild boars the sly and cunning are called foxes despoilers are rapacious eagles false teachers are likened to ravening wolves and there is a yet more terrible comparison of lascivious men with another example of the animal creation in short the man whom the scriptures regard as less than man is he who has descended below the dignity of his nature and has lost sight of his final end st chrysostom judges the man by the soul and the soul by the grace and truth of which it partakes our lord himself has given a like measure of humanity where he says not in bread alone doth man live but in every word that proceedeth from the mouth of god the hebrew scriptures have an emphatic way of expressing the complete man the man endowed with light and power from above they call him a man and a man philo the jew says in his book on the giants that this double man has no reference to the composition of body and soul but it signifies the man endowed with the virtues this twofold man is the supernatural added to the natural man this is what the fathers understand by it as well as some of the rabbinical writers in the book of numbers there occurs this text the man and the man whosoever shall vow his vow to the lord upon which origin thus comments why is the name of man repeated as if it were not sufficient to say the man who vows the apostle teaches that there is an exterior man and an interior man and that the interior man is renewed day by day in the image of god who created him whilst the exterior man is subject to corruption when we come to the perfect man we come to the man who accepts god's laws and offers his vows to the lord but no man can offer these vows unless he have something within him something even within his substance that he can offer to god the exterior man will not suffice to receive god's law nor can he offer his vows to god because he has nothing worthy of god but the interior man has that within him that he may offer to god in him the virtues dwell in him there is knowledge and understanding and the renewal of the divine image when he has regained the fair grace that he had in the beginning and has recovered the former beauty of the virtues then he can once more offer vows to god and may not only be called a man but a man and a man but he who does not cultivate the interior man who hath no care of that man who builds not himself in the virtues and does not take to discipline 
who is not exercised in the scriptures such a one cannot be called a man and a man but only a man and an animal saint macarius of egypt explains this twofold man in beautiful terms if any man love god he says god infuses his love within him and when once he puts a generous confidence in god god superadds the heavenly faith and from this addition he becomes a twofold man into whatever you offer in any of your members to god god mingles something of his own that you may do everything with purity both in loving him and in praying to him this makes man of great value omitting the reasoning of saint basil which saint ambrose likewise follows we will give his conclusion we have he says the hidden man enclosed within us and after a certain manner we are understood to be a twofold man for the common saying that the man is within us is true this doubling of the name of man to express the perfection of manhood of the man who is both the image and likeness of god is preeminently applicable to the humanity of our lord jesus christ the one type and form of the perfect man concerning whom the psalmist asks shall sion say a man and a man is born in her these two men the new interior and regenerated man and the old exterior man reformed by the new are perfectly distinguished and described by saint paul that was not first he says which is spiritual but that which is natural afterwards that which is spiritual the first man was of the earth earthly the second man from heaven heavenly such as is the earthly such also are the earthly and such as is the heavenly such also are they that are heavenly now this i say brethren that flesh and blood cannot possess the kingdom of god neither shall corruption possess incorruption again he says put off according to the former conversation the old man who is corrupted according to the desires of error and put on the new man who according to god is created in justice and holiness of truth the old man is not therefore destroyed according to nature but reformed according to god and receiving the new man christ into the old man adam he becomes a man and a man you have now had placed before you the true type of manhood not as the world estimates man not as profane philosophy takes the measure of his dignity but as his creator has planned his nature in the view of his final end and has provided for him the means to accomplish that final end he gives him first a rudimental existence complete nevertheless in itself and distinct from every other then he gives him a development through the gifts of his providence then an advancement 
dependent on his own will by the gifts of grace towards eternal things finally he is delivered from this world of probation and if he has been faithful he enters into union with god as the supreme and eternal object of his inmost desires solomon has not hesitated to express this union of the soul with god in perfect love under the allegory of a happy human marriage christ our lord has also described the entrance into the kingdom of god under the parable of a marriage feast and to saint john the final union of souls with god was portrayed under the figure of the marriage feast of the lamb it is the modern fashion of innumerable writers and the passion of still more innumerable readers to contemplate human life in every mythical form as being absorbed in the earlier days of manhood in a struggle through difficulties the object of which is a happy union in which the purpose of life is gained and its trials brought to an end how far these fictions most commonly are from the realities of life and to what extent they falsify the minds that widely indulge in them and take them for the ways of wisdom is best known to those who have studied human life the most but this may be said with most certain truth that the happiest union of mortal with mortal where each supplements what the other requires is a very faint remote and imperfect figure of that union of the soul with god in which the image of god comes to its divine original and every want ceases and every desire is accomplished and now by way of conclusion let us look at the law of human progress through the eyes of saint hilary earthly and imperfect causes he observes have this character that they are changeable grief troubles joy anger disturbs peace offence interrupts goodwill envy disturbs equanimity and anxiety our sense of security when some appetite creeps into our weak and inconstant affections we are no longer what we were a sudden change comes over us and turns us from what we were into what we have so suddenly become but the blessed god is perfect he needs no progress because there is nothing wanting to him he has no beginning he knows no change he is and what he is comes from no other source than himself he is and is in himself and with himself and to himself and is himself unto himself and all things are unto him nothing can be added to him because he himself is all and all things are unto him from this best and most benevolent beatitude through his word our lord jesus christ all creations of invisible and heavenly creatures are made and also the constitution of spiritual 
with corporal creations he gains nothing to himself from these creatures no one hath need of what he gives away from himself or profits by what he imparts to another but the things that profit us come from an external source what heals our wants is not what we have but what we have hitherto been strangers to the god from whom all things are has no need therefore of a single thing that he creates but he has created them all for them who are born into life as it would be long to treat of celestial creatures let us speak of ourselves god constituted man not because he required his service but because he is good and made man to partake of his beatitude he perfects this rational creature in life and sense to share his eternity this is absolutely clear from his own words and now o israel what doth the lord thy god require of thee but that thou fear the lord thy god and walk in his ways and love him and serve the lord thy god with all thy heart and all thy soul and keep his commandments and his justifications which i command this day that it may be well with thee god asks no service of us but faith innocence and religion he demands our love and service that through them we may be judged worthy to be rewarded with his goodness and beatitude but the communication of his goodness like the sun's splendor the fire's warmth or the flower's sweetness profits not him who gives but him who receives as he is not jealous of that good which with him is eternal he takes us up to the sense and enjoyment of that good yet the good and perfect god gives not that good to us without reason and measure what he gives first to each one is his sense and freedom of life not imposing any necessity that each one's good and evil may be decided by law having created us from benevolence to obtain beatitude he has ordained our progress to that beatitude through a just and innocent life were he to withhold us from evil by putting a constraining necessity upon us what honour what goodness could such a necessity deserve goodness is therefore offered to our free will and choice and as the reward of free will not as the result of a necessity uninspired by law yet whilst our god invites and attracts us to good and to upright living that we may hope to enjoy his goodness he adds pain and suffering to the deserting and despising of that goodness that as necessity could do nothing for us the terror of pain and suffering may act as a reasonable control of our liberty liberty is given us in view of reason and in view of just reward 
whilst the unruliness of liberty is kept in order by the ordinance of fear that whilst the hope of reward encourages us to will what is good the fear of vindictive punishment may dissuade us from willing evil wherefore to omit many things that might be said after considering why man was made in the image of god we point to the sum of this lecture in the words of st augustine any one may call himself a man or think himself a man but he who neither obeys god nor fears him is unworthy of the title of man or as the christian philosopher boethius puts it more comprehensively it comes to this you cannot account him to be a man who is deformed with the vices for where goodness is abandoned the man ceases to be unable to ascend to a divine condition he descends into the state of the irrational creation this also is the conclusion of solomon fear god and keep his commandments for this is the whole man end of lecture two part three